0: to the Kakuturgi Fightcast, where we aim to chat about all things fighting. This fightcast is powered by the rather marvellous Kakuturgi Fight Forum, which you can locate at kakuturgi.proboards.com. My name is Darren Falco, I'm known on the forum as The Mage, or The Magey. Not quite sure you pronounce it, I never played Neverwinter Nights. And some of the topics we're going to be talking about on this first episode, we've decided to title it um, All Gloved Up, as I'm going to be chatting about mostly kickboxing and boxing today are um, Enrique Gococchia's decision to switch from kickboxing to boxing full-time, and why that's quite interesting, the storylines that are beginning to at their boxing at the Olympics in Rio, and also a little something that I wouldn't mind your interaction with. But the first thing we're going to chat about is last weekend's Glory of Heroes event, which went down at Changxi Stadium in Changxi, China. Glory of Heroes events are a production of Wu Lin Feng. I think you could say that they are the super cards that Wu Lin Feng put on. And this particular one, first of all, I want to say that this version that I saw, it was just the TV version. I didn't catch the prelims. And when I, the version that I saw kicked off with a concert was going on. And I was quite pleased about that because it was in progress and I thought it wouldn't be too long left. But I was dead wrong there. It went on and on. I think I could have celebrated a birthday waiting for that to finish until it finally did. But eventually things wrapped up there and the fighting got underway. And the first fight was a 63 kilo fight between Dengzi Chai and Stavros Exocostidis from Greece. Uh, Deng was 3-0 and coming to this one, and um, unfortunately he picked up a loss, even though he did control the first two rounds that I thought. But the first thing that I picked up when this one kicked off was the fact that Stavros looked a whole weight division smaller. It was very peculiar, but like I said, Stavros got the victory. It was a rather fortuitous one as well. At the end of the second round, Deng Chai attempted a jumping knee attack, I think it was, and appeared to injure his lead leg. He's an orthodox fighter. This led to Stavros. He picked up on this straight away, by the way. This led to Stavros going all in for the kill in the third round. And about 30-40 about seconds into that third and final round, Dengzi Chai just decided he couldn't continue. Stavros picking up the upset win. And I'd imagine, or I'd hope, that a rematch would be made for there, because it's pretty much a built-in storyline. Um, so that was the first one, upset victory, like I said, for Stavros X Castidas. First time I'd seen him fight. And then the second contest was the 55kg contest between the Golden Girl, Jemima Betrian of the Netherlands, uh, or the Netherlands, I don't know why I said Netherlands for, and the host nation's Gong Yan Lee. Uh, It was a bit of an untidy contest, all things considered. Um, Gong Yan Lee had a couple of points deducted in the second round for use of her head. She was constantly coming in with that. Uh, She turns her back a bit. has got a few bad habits. But on on the whole, I'd describe her as a plucky roughhouse. And I think if you follow the kickboxing scene in China, you would have seen the finish to this one. Two minutes, 59 seconds of the third and final round, she uncorked and um, she twisted the bomb, I think you could say, rather than lowered the bomb. She land, landed a, an amazing spin and back fist. It was flush on the jaw, all fists, no forearm, absolutely perfect. She needed it and she got it. Poor Jemima was out to the world and when she came to, she did look somewhat in shock. Um, I'd just like to say that I noticed that Jemima seemed to have a little bit of skinning of the gloves going on. A couple of fighters did during the card, and that is well, there's a bit of a debate on what skinning of the gloves entails. But I've always considered it to be when the tape on the gloves goes higher than the wrist, and uh, which adds a bit more pressure onto the padding and makes the, gives you a bit more impact for the punches, I would imagine. And like I said, it should really be outlawed because, like I said, as far as I'm as far as I'm aware, you shouldn't go any higher than the wrist. But that's something that just keep an eye on in future. But like I said, that was an amazing victory, really, for Gong Yanli. She carries on. That was her second victory in Glory of Heroes, and according to Jemima's pre-fight video, that was her first kickboxing loss since the age of sixteen. So again, the considering the what happened, when and how it happened, I'd imagine that I'd hope again that a rematch is made. Another built-in storyline for a future Glory of Heroes event, which I think the next one is on the first of October. So it might be a quick bit soon for that one to go ahead as a rematch. Maybe December, get that one done, hopefully. Then we moved on to the 63kg division. Uh, Wei Roy, who was turning in to be one of my favourites to watch in Wu Lin Feng and Glory of Heroes, he took on uh, Italy's Matteo Taccini, who, uh, if you saw the debut edition of Bellator Kickboxing, picked up a loss to uh, Kevin Ross. But this one, Matteo was never at the races. Wei Roy had... Uh, Tachini's measure almost straight away. Southpaw Wairoia's and was strafing Matteo with the lead left. Uh, was hooking well with the lead hand. And uh, by the end of the first round, uh, Matteo's face was so blotchy it looked as if he had a bad case of eczema. It didn't get any better in the second round. Um, Wayroy was really beginning to smash home the counters. Matteo looked a bit out of ideas. I scored the second round a 10-8 round as I did the third. I th- personally, I thought the referee could have stepped in the third round because Matteo had that hunched-up look in the third, which, as a fighter, he was—he's was desperately tired and he had nothing to offer apart from his gameness. Uh, indeed, he had indeed he had a, a, a level of gameness which reminded me of Masashi. If you remember, he had an, an incredible ability to take a kick and keep on uh, keep on ticking. I think is the phrase I'm looking for. Yeah, c- take a take a kicking and keep on ticking. That's alright but yes, um, a big another 4-0 now for Way roy and if I'm being honest, I wouldn't mind seeing him step up a bit and take on a, a higher level of competition. The next thing I noticed from that broadcast, they displayed a video which was hoping a, a Wu-Lin Feng event. It wasn't a Glory of Heroes event, just a straight-up Wu-Lin Feng event, which went, is going down on the 3rd of September. And the reason I noticed it was because it included uh, video footage of Vi- Ernesto Hoost, Peter Arts. Ray Bonyaski and Mirko Krokop. So I was interested to know they're dovetailing that into that promotion. I'm guessing that it's got some sort of Netherlands feel to it, but I don't really know. I'm not quite sure. Maybe it's something that shades. Kixi.com could help us out with on the forums. And then the second, or the next contest, rather, was 72 kilos. Sayok Pompangmong Windy Sport, the vet uh, he's a world-class Muay Thai operator, was taking on Zhang Kaiyin, who's a new name for me, uh, Chinese kickboxing. Um, Zhang Koyin was announced as the 2014 Sandar World Cup champion, and this was a bit of this was an awkward contest, really, if I'm being truthful. Southpaw versus southpaw. Sayok had a fa- fair bit of skinning going on uh, on his gloves, and uh, both looked for quick bursts of action here and there. But they both took lots, lots of breaks. And Zhang Koyin, for example, was very much looking a bit tired at the end of the close of the second round. I personally scored at 29-28 for Sayok. I thought his punch quality was a little bit more uh, pronounced, and I thought he nicked it for me, especially with his left hand. But I I will accept it. It was a battle of what you prefer, really. And um, Sayok's kickboxing contests always do seem to be a little bit close. He's a bit of a passive clincher. But all three judges scored at 29-28 to Zhang kai Always seems to be a little bit of a Chinese bias. Mm -hmm. But then again, what do you expect? And uh, Sayok's picked up losses now in both Kunlun and um, Wu Lin Feng, re- or Glory of Heroes, uh, in recent months. So I wonder if he's going to stick around much more. I would imagine the pay is pretty good, so he may very well do so. But uh, and the 60kg contest was next, and it was Crook Yohen from Belarus against Yun Chi. I'd never seen Yun Chi fight before, but this was his second contest in Glory of Heroes. Not much to say, really, apart from within thir- within 39 seconds... Crook uh, Johan ran onto a perfectly timed left hook, which ended things the right, pretty much straight away. It was announced as a TKO, but I clearly heard the referee count to 10, so I didn't know why it was announced as a knockout. But regardless, it was another victory for Yung Chi, he's now 2-0 in Glory of Heroes. And then we moved on to a 68kg contest. Ti Yinghua, who is a regular on Glory of Heroes events, uh, this was his fourth straight appearance there, um... He picked up a victory over Youssef Asoik of Denmark, who was particularly vicious early on with his left knee. Very impressed there. But T. Yinghua is nothing but indefatigable, and um, kept banging away at the body. Ate everything that Yusuf was throwing at him, and by the end of the contest, Youssef looked grateful for the final bell. All three judges scored at 29-28 to T. Yinghua, but um, looking at my scorecard quickly, I had it the other way around. I had it to Yusuf Asoik, um, T. ying I've got to say, if my scorecards were anything to go by, I would have him now at 0-4. I think he's lost every single one that I've seen, but he's got the, with the exception of the the loss to Kem Song Pinong, his Glory of Heroes record is now 3-1. and 1. And then that moved us on to the main event, the co-main event, excuse me, Israel Adesanya, the Black Dragon, who's getting plenty of action in Glory of Heroes. He took on Yusri Belgaroy, uh of Mike's Gym, Mr. Fantastic, his nickname was, and, um, Again, I've got to say, I thought that uh, Yusuf got the victory, or Yusri, I should say, got the victory on that one. I had it 29-28 to him, but all three judges had it 29-28 to the Black Dragon, as he styled uh, in uh, Wu Lin Feng. I thought he looked a little bit tired, considering that he's a he's had plenty of action this year, and last year, Israel, he's have-gloves-will-travel kind of guy. I thought he looked a little bit ragged at the end of that one, but he got the victory nonetheless and carries on. Uh, Rumour has it, I was listening to Stephen the Warman Rights podcast most recently, and he's he said that perhaps uh, UFC had been in contact with uh, Israel, so perhaps um, that could be something coming up in the near future, so maybe we might not be seeing him in China or kickboxing in general for much longer. And uh, I've got to say that the VTR for this one had a, he had a big push to uh, Israel. Israel's coach, uh, a gentleman by the name of C. Fu, who relocated to New Zealand, I think it is, or Australia, excuse me for getting that, whichever one it is wrong, which is where Israel seems to be based. And so, that, like I said, they're really pushing this Chinese uh, side of things for Israel. Interesting to see where that goes from there. And then the main event was uh, Slippery Cedric Dumbay of France against Chin Yawe. That was a bit of a surprising choice for a main event for me. And the first thing I picked up on was that uh, Cedric had André Mannart in his corner, the venerable trainer who's, of course, trained Peter Arts and many others over the years. But the fight itself, um, as soon as Cedric started landing, pretty much the fight was over. Chin Yawe didn't seem what to want to know too much after getting caught by a few shots. A couple of the knockdowns, well, they weren't knockdowns, they weren't called, but I thought they were definitely legitimate ones. But after the third the third one was finally called, and after that, the referee wrapped things up. He'd seen enough. So that was um, Glory of Heroes. Like I said, the next one is on the 1st of October, which leads us on to uh, our next topic I think we're going to chat about, which would be the boxing at the Olympics. I think I'll go kickboxing, boxing, kickboxing for this one. And the uh, first thing I want to say was uh, the contrasting fortunes of many of the lead nations. I mean, at the last Olympics, we had Team GB, who picked up, uh, I think, three golds. Nicola, uh, Natasha Jones, Natasha, Nicola Adams—I'll get it right eventually. Nicola Adams picked up a gold medal, as did Luke Campbell and Anthony Joshua. Uh, Fre- Fred Evans picked up a, s- a silver medal, and uh, there was a bronze for Antonia Gogo. This time around, I think it's going to be pretty difficult, being that half of the 12-strong uh, U- GB teams already out of the tournament, unfortunately. Gamal Yafi, or Galal Yafai, Kaisash Fak, uh, and Joe Cordina, Josh Kelly, Anthony Fowler and Lawrence Okoli have all bowed out before the medal rounds, sad to say. But Muhammad Ali is a flyweight. Uh, Joshua, Bo- Joshua Boatze, Joe Joyce, Nicola Adams and Savannah Marshall are still in the tournament. and uh, Four of those have yet to compete though, so fingers crossed there'll be some medals there. Uh, Team USA, on the other hand, uh, uh, London 2012, all their male team bowed out before we got to the medal rounds. This time, they've already got one medal guaranteed. Nico Hernandez has picked up a bronze. um, As things are standing, Antonio Vargas, Shakur Stevenson, who is the favourite to pick up a medal for the men's team, Gary Antoine Russell, the brother of the current WBC featherweight champ Gary Russell, he's still live in the tournament, and the women, Michaela Mayer and... The only gold medalist from last Olympics for the USA, Clarissa Shields, the middleweight, she's yet to make her Olympic bow. They're still going for the USA. But I've got to say that, uh, look, the reversal of fortunes, it must be down to the head coach, Billy Walsh, who was um, picked up in October, headhunted by USA Boxing, was formerly the head coach of the Irish High Performance Unit, and his departure from Ireland to USA seems to have coincided with a somewhat... Reversal in fortunes for the Irish team. Uh, they're now coached by uh, a Georgian by the name of Zaur Anita or Antia, I should say, and uh, he's interim coach just for this just for these games. And uh, unfortunately for Ireland, the only two of their competitors, as, as I say this, who are still live in the tournament are Katie Taylor and Mick Conlon. And the reason they're still in the tournament, unfortunately, is because they've yet to fight. The rest of the team, Paddy Barnes, who was a big favourite to pick up a medal, Brendan Irvine, uh, David Joyce, Simon Donnelly, Michael O'Reilly, who was ruled out of the games due to a positive drug test before the boxing even actually started, and Joe Ward, all bowed out before the medal rounds. So a big disappointment for what was formerly a medal factory. And like I say, Billy Walsh, I think, has got something to do with that. Russia and Ukraine, they're also powerhouses in the Olympic boxing front. They've pretty much been cleared out, more or less. I think Russia have got one or two remaining. I think Misha Aloyan, the flyweight. Uh, Mr. Nitikin, the bat- bantamweight. And a couple of other ones. Evgeny Tishchenko, I think, is guaranteed a medal. Uh, Ukraine, they had Vasil Lomachenko, of course. And one or two others who picked up medals. They're pretty much, I think, they may even be totally gone. Maxim Butchisenko... Dmitry Mitrofanov and Dmitry Solonenko, they're all out. And also the light welterweight for Ukraine, they're all out of the tournament before the medal rounds. So it's really a bit of a topsy-turvy tournament. The stars of the show for the Olympic boxing got to be um, Uzbekistan. They've got one guaranteed medal, two guaranteed medals so far, heavyweight bronze. And uh, also they're going to be going out for the light flyweight gold medal, or, or silver at least. And Kazakhstan are going well. Kazakhstan have put pay to a couple of British hopes, and already they've got, a c- they've got Mr Satabev, the flyweight, uh, the bantamweight Yeraliev, and Yelusinov, the welterweight. They're still going strong. And also uh, Zanabek Alan Kanuli, really slippery customer. middle uh, the we- uh, Middleweight, I think, he is. Yeah, middleweight. He's been the star of the show for them. Also, Mr Nia Zambetov. Vitali Levitt, the heavyweight, and Ivan Ditchko, the super heavyweight, they're still alive. They could probably pick up medals. And the Cuban team, they're always strong in these sorts of tournaments. And they've and so far, they've got one medal, uh, a bronze for Johannes Agalagos, the little titan. And Roniel Iglesias today was ruled out at welterweight. Picked up a very controversial defeat to, uh, I think, Kazakhstan member of the team there. But they've still got one, two, three, f- got about seven remaining. And they're going to pick up a couple of medals, definitely. Um, Rabisi Ramirez, the bantamweight. He's one hell of a fighter. If you get the chance to watch him, please do so. He's unbelievably fast and excellent with both hands. Real master of the ring. Lazaro Alvarez, the lightweight. Yasnir Toledo Lopez, the light welterweight. Arlen Lopez, who scored a rare knockout in the Olympics. He's a middleweight. Keep an eye out for him. And also the man of elastic, Julio Cesar La Cruz, the light heavyweight free time world champion, who um, got eliminated by Brazil's, I think it was Falcao who eliminated him at the 2012 Olympics, uh, they're all worth a watch, and also the heavyweight Landy Savon, the nephew of the great Felix Savon who won three gold medals at three straight Olympics, and the super heavyweight Lanier Pero, who uh, advanced earlier on today. So that's the Olympics. Um, Covered, and now that leaves us to our third topic, which is the decision of Enrique Gogokia to make a switch to boxing full time. And it's not just the fact that he switched to boxing, which plenty of kickboxers have done so over the past, it's the fact that he's been signed by both uh, a provo- pro- big promotional powerhouse in main events, and he's been signed. His manager is now Egis Klimas, who specializes in managing. Pro boxers from Eastern Europe. And so far he's handled four world champions that like I can think of. Former IBF heavyweight champ, or he challenged for the, IB, for the IBF heavyweight championship, sorry, so that makes it three world champs. But Vyacheslav Glaskov, he uh, fought Charles Martin until he got injured for the IBF championship. Sergei Kovalev, the preeminent light heavyweight currently plying his trade. Uh, Vasily Lomachenko, who is one of the finest pro boxers I think you'll find, Roundabouts nowadays, and Evgeny Gradovich, who is a former IBF featherweight champion, he's also got some very promising prospects in Alexander Golosovzik, who is eleven and 0 uh, and also a couple of former amateur standouts from Lithuania in Virgilius Stapulionis and Egidius Kavliauskas. So um, he's not, uh, Mr. and is not going to be without talent in his stable. I think he's located two. Uh, California, Los Angeles um, a lot of Eggers Clemasters fighters seem to be plowing their trade and training at um, the Oxnard gym of Robert Robert Garcia of the famous Garcia fighting family but like I said that's in Oxnard and um, Enrico is in Los Angeles so I'm not quite sure where I'll be training and uh, like I said his promoters, main events uh, notable mainly for uh, being pro- I think they're the only promotional group which is operated entirely by women, Kathy Duva is the head honcho there, and the matchmaker is Jolene Mazone. The Duver family, or well the main, main event banner, years ago, was one of the leading ones in boxing, not so much nowadays. Like I said, Sergei Kovalev is probably um, main event's leading boxer at the moment, and many years ago, main event's had a big hand in the very first Sugar Ray landed, thomas Hearns fight, and also back in 1984, after the 1984 Olympics, main event's signed out of the shoot, a ton of the Olympians, the American Olympians, which cleared up at the that particular game. So they had Evander Holyfield, Meldrick Taylor, and Pernell Whitaker, off the top of my head. So they really are a, a well-known force in the sport of boxing. But then there was some big infighting after Dan Dover, who's Cathy Doover's late husband. He passed of a brain tumour at the age of 44, about 20 years ago. And after that, there was a lot of fighting with the Duva family, and it's all split up to the point where Kathy Duver kept the name, and she kept her head down, earned a degree. Um, I didn't think main events held too many shows for a, little, for a little while. And then a couple of years ago, they really really made a big go at having another smash at the helm at boxing. And um, now they've made some big inroads with HBO, who were, our, they were a main, one of the main TV driving forces in boxing in the U.S., but they've taken a bit of a shellacking this year. They've really unveiled some not-too-hot main events. But that's by the by. I was going to say Enrico is I've got to say, he's up against it when you take into consideration he was knocked out cold by Zabar Askarov at the Legend event a couple of years ago. So I'm not sure if that bodes too well for him, but obviously somebody has seen something which makes them think he's going to make a big success. But I was going to say um, the precedent is for Enrico is that he's one of the very few non-heavyweights who have... Um, made the jump to boxing. Uh, Albert Krace had a few contests, pro boxing contests, um, a couple of years ago, but that didn't last too long. He worked out at Macklin's Gym, Marbella, which is a big facility out in Spain which houses a ton of pro boxers, a few kickboxers and mixed martial artists. And also, I don't know if you can recall, a couple of years ago when Tyson Fury had a dalliance with kickboxing. Uh, t- Albert Krace was involved there. I think he went down for a few camps and trained with Team Fury. But yeah, I'll so say he was the only non heavyweight who's had a real big fist of it. Nicky Holtzkin has had a couple of contests at a very small venue in Holland, but I think that's just to keep ticking over while he waits for kickboxing folks to come up in glory. But the real big comparison, I think you could say, is Jerome Labana back in 1997 when he switched over to boxing. Around um, right about 1997, 1998, he came in contact with Jean Christophe Correge. Who um has got ties to boxing and kickboxing, and that led Jerome to signing of Don King back in 1998. Uh, Don, who at the time was would sign anything that moved in the heavyweight division, and I seem to remember he was call- Jerome was called at a Don King press conference after one of his events, and Don really went to town uh, saying that. He was going to make a big star of Jerome, and Jerome was going to be make a big splash in the heavyweight division. It didn't quite happen, really. Uh, a couple of his contests were interspersed with bouts in K1, I think in May and July of 1998. And um, he made his, his pro boxing debut in February before moving on. He had a, I think April and June, he had a couple of contests, boxing contests. Didn't really um, fight anybody of any note. I think his, all the fighters that he came up against had losing records. And he was dropped in, I think you could say, in Evander Holyfield's training camp when Holyfield was, at the time, the WBA and IBF heavyweight champion. And if you remember, a Jerome had a fight at the Georgia Dome, which was on the undercard of Evander's uh, heavyweight championship defence against Vaughn Bean in September of 1998. I always wondered why a kickboxing contest was held there, and then... Um, A couple of years ago, I came across a book which was written by Evander's former manager, Jim Thomas, and uh, in it, he mentions an an unnamed heavyweight who Don King, a French heavyweight who Don King insisted joined the Holyfield camp, and um, after a a couple of weeks, uh, I think Jim Thomas made the call to to Don King and said, "This isn't working. This this gentleman, who I, like I said, I assumed was Jerome Labana, just isn't cut out for this." And um, he left the camp pretty soon after that, which is, I guessed, why the kickboxing event at the George Dome went down. He had his final boxing event a couple of months later in November, and then after that, the problem started forming. And he was promised undercard slots at the first Evander Holyfield-Lennox Lewis fight in March 1999. That didn't happen. I think there was also problems with purses. I think what Don King was promising and what he was delivering were two different things. And um, there was a big spell of inactivity between February and October of 1999 for Jerome. And eventually he um, went back to K1. I think Don held out for a fair bit of purse money to get back his investment. And eventually, like I said, Jerome returned to K1 after an inauspicious time in his boxing run. And I I remember rightly, I think the seeds were sown. If you go back and watch the K1 Opening round in 1997 against Rick Rufus. Rick absolutely lit Jerome up on, with the boxing. And I think that could have been a harbinger of things to come. But Jerome did eventually retire from boxing undefeated. He had a couple of contests a few years back. I don't think it was nothing serious. I think it was rather like Nicky Holtzkin to just keep him ticking over. Uh, a few other boxers have had a go in the past also. Ray Sefo had a three-fight run in between February and September of 2001. That was All three of those contests were held in Illinois, which was rather interesting. And um, I always thought it was intriguing or a bit of speculative matchmaking that he was thrown in with a 12-fight heavyweight, a big guy by the name of Chester Hughes. The interest in Ray's kickboxing run was such that, that it was even televised in Japan, across the site of his many of his K1 triumphs. And unfortunately for Ray, he was blasted out inside a minute by Chester Hughes. And that caused the end of his kickboxing, his, his boxing run rather. And what I found intriguing about that was just one month after that heavy loss to Chester Hughes, which is available on YouTube if you want to see it, came the classic with Mark Hunt. So 90 day medical suspensions be damned. So one month after getting blasted out by Chester Hughes, he then had that war with Mark Hunt and didn't look back and was kickboxing all the way. And trying to think of a few other boxers which who, who have tried to, or kickboxers rather, we tried to make a sw- the switch a successful switch to boxing. Matt Skelton, who had a he had a hell of a bo- uh, combat sports career, all things considered, competed for UWF way back in the day. Had a fight for pride against Tom Erickson. Uh, had a big kickboxing career, and then he made the move to K1. He picked up some wins, most notably over Alexei Ignashov and Ray sefo um, I think he caused, he caused both of them to uh, quit on their stool eventually. They were big victories. His last kickboxing contest was in 2001, and then a month after that, bang, he was straight into boxing. And um, he picked up British, Commonwealth, and European heavyweight championships, and all the way up to a World Heavyweight Championship challenge against Ruslan K- Chagayev in, uh, I think it was 2009, for the WBA Heavyweight Championship. So he's probably the most successful uh, jumper to boxing from kickboxing. Uh, of course, Badahari had that well-publicised jump, which never really went anywhere after his initial meeting with the trainer of uh, Bernard Hopkins, Nazim Richardson. I think there were some visa issues went on there. Mike Bernardo had a 13-fight run in boxing. Seven of those happened while he was fighting in K1. Uh, Tyrone Spong still going, of course. He's had a few boxing matches, but his boxing career seems to be a bit stop-start. And... Um, Jarrell Miller, of course, big baby, who had that infamous fight with Mirko Krokop, not a classic by any means. By the way, Jarrell's Jarell, in action uh, next week, if you're interested, boxing against journeyman Fred Cassie. And Jarrell's got a, a promoter of some renown in Greg Cohen, but I think he was well-known well in boxing circles, first of all, sparring with Tyson Fury and Vladimir Klitschko. So that's Enrico Gogolki and making the switch over. Uh, I wish him all the best, and then the final topic we're going to talk about—it's it's flown by really—is kickboxing books. I'm a bit of a voracious reader. Uh, this week I finished uh, *Ghosts of Manila*, which is touching on uh, Muhammad Ali and Joe Frazier. Doesn't uh, paint Muhammad in a very positive light. And also, um, I finished just finished off *The Fight* by Norman Mailer, which is said to be one of the finest kickboxing—look uh, at me—one of the finest boxing books of all time. I didn't agree. But what I was going to get at is the lack of kickboxing books on the market. My fight library s- consists of, I'd say, about 95% uh, boxing, 5% MMA. Um, I've got very little kickboxing books at all. I think that off the top of my head, there's one that Michael Chevello wrote, which covered uh, Mark Hunt's g- uh, kickboxing Grand Prix victory at the K1 2001 Grand Prix. And... Um, Apart from that, I can't think of too much. There's a few in Dutch language. I An- know Ernesto Hoost, Bada Hurry, and Peter Arts of all are Dutch books. But English language, there's very little. Uh, do you know of any? And if you, know, have you got? You know what ones have you got, or are there any coming out? Um, Tom Harrink, I believe, has got one. Coming out pretty soon, if it's not out already. But I'm not sure if that's English language. Um, Do, yeah, do you know of any? Please let us know in the comments. Which, by the way, you can uh, comment on our YouTube channel, which we've got. I think it's Kekotergi Fightcast. Also, you can check us out on SoundCloud, and also you could comment on, of course, sign up to the forum, which I hope you do. And I think that's just about wraps up our very first edition of the Kakuturgi Fightcast. If you've enjoyed it, please subscribe. We can, you can find us on iTunes, like I said, SoundCloud, YouTube, and also RSS feed. Like I said, if you could please, if you wish, sign up to the Kakutogi Fight Forum. It's absolutely free, all it will do is cost you five minutes of your time. Like I said, my name's Darren Falco, known as The Meiji. Uh, hopefully next time well, I won't be stumbling of my words so much. And all that remains to me, to, for me to say is thank you very much, and oos!